Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. Hello, and welcome to Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. I'm your host, Carly Florison. I'm a writer, a storyteller, and a total history nerd. I'm really excited to be sharing another fascinating story from Western Australia's past with you today. It is, of course, almost the end of 2021, and I hope that you're really enjoying the holiday season, however you might be celebrating it. We had a wonderful day on Christmas Day with friends and family, and as is our tradition, we ate far too much food. As I record this, it's that strange period of time in between Christmas and New Year's Day, when for many people, particularly if you're on holidays or if you have young children, you just don't know if you're coming or going or what exactly you should be doing with your life, and often even what day of the week it is. Of course, it's a really crazy time of the year, but as I'd hoped, I've just been able to squeeze in this one last podcast episode just before the end of the year. And for this one, I was intending to do something fairly lighthearted, but as is the case with most of our history, it hasn't really turned out lighthearted at all. But I think you'll be able to spot the connection with holidays. Before we get into the story, I'd like to pay my respects to the First Nations people of Western Australia, especially the Wajak Noongar people of the Perth area and the Noongar people of the Esperance area, which is where I'm recording this podcast today. The First Nations people have a history and a connection to this land that goes back tens of thousands of years, and I'd like to acknowledge that and to pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd just like to add a little content warning to this episode. We do talk quite a bit about some deaths in custody and some violence towards prisoners that took place, and I'll also be mentioning the names of some Aboriginal people who have died. So today we're going to be looking at a story that is based on an island and it has shipwrecks, cute marsupials, tragedy and loss and much more. This is the story of Rotnest Island. Rotnest Island is a small island that is located about 18 kilometres off the coast of Fremantle. It's not that huge, it's 19 square kilometres in size. And these days, we know Rotnest Island as a little holiday destination, great for a quick getaway if you live in Perth. You can go there for a day trip or you can stay for a few days on the island. It's a beautiful, relaxing place with plenty to see. And it's also known for its population of quokkas. And if you don't know what a quokka is, it's a small marsupial, a wallaby, roughly around the size of a cat. Quokkas are very cute looking and they often appear to be smiling in photographs. Like other marsupials, they keep their young in a pouch, but they're known for a bit of a strange quirk. If a female quokka is threatened, she'll sometimes drop her joey out of her pouch, which will attract attention and give her time to get away from the predator. So, not surprisingly, with that kind of behaviour, the population of quokkas isn't really that huge. In fact, quokkas are only found in the southwest of Western Australia, and the population on Rotnest Island is the largest remaining population of quokkas that we have. We'll come back to quokkas, but before that, let's go way, way back and take a look at the history of the island. The history of Rotnest Island goes back more than 30,000 years. Back before the last ice age, around 7,000 years ago, Rotnest Island and the other islands off the coast of Western Australia, such as Garden Island, were connected to the mainland due to tides being much lower. 
The island, which was known by the Wajak Noongar name Wajimup, was an important meeting place for Noongar people. And Aboriginal artefacts have been found on the island dating back 30,000 years. After the sea levels changed and the island became cut off from the mainland, Noongar people stopped visiting the island. They were not seafaring people and there was no real reason for them to undertake such a dangerous journey when they had everything that they needed on the mainland. There's no evidence that they travelled to Rottnest Island after the island became cut off from the mainland. But Rottnest Island has remained part of Noongar storytelling and mythology. It became known as a resting place for spirits. And here I'm quoting, The island is considered to be a place of transition between the physical and the spiritual world, and the spirit of the deceased is believed to travel to Wajimup during its journey towards the afterlife. When the spirit is ready to leave the physical world, it moves to the west end of the island, where the whale takes the spirit to its final resting place, known as Koranup, which is located on the horizon in the deep ocean west of the island. In fact, Wajimup means place across the water where the spirits are. The first Europeans to sight the island were the Dutch. Samuel Volkerson, captain of the Dutch ship Wakendi Boy, and I apologise in advance for all of my pronunciation of these Dutch words. I'm sure I'm mangling a lot of these words, but that translates to watchful boy. So Samuel Volkerson and his crew were the first to arrive on the island in 1658. They were searching for survivors from another Dutch ship, the Verguld Dreyek, which was lost at sea, apparently with eight chests of silver on board, worth 78,600 Dutch guilders. We'll save the story of the wreck of the Verguld Dreyek for another day. Anyway, Volkerson reported of Rotnest, This island has high mountains with a good deal of brushwood and many thorn bushes, so that it is hard to go over. Here certain animals are found, since we saw many excrements, and besides two seals and a wild cat, resembling a civet cat, but with browner hair. Of course, you can probably guess that what he thought was a civet cat was actually a quokka. In 1696, another Dutch ship, or rather a fleet of three ships this time, arrived at Rottnest Island. These ships were under the command of Captain Willem de Vlaming, and he was also looking for a lost ship, the Chap Van Holland, which had gone missing two years prior to this visit. It would seem that that's how quite a few things were discovered in those days. A ship went missing and people were sent to look for it, and while they might not have found the original missing ship, they discovered some other things. And, of course, the word discovered there is in inverted commas because the land, as we know, was not undiscovered at the time. The First Nations people of Australia had been living here for many thousands of years. But anyway, Divlaming stopped at Rottnest Island for six days to explore, and while they were there... He and his crew remarked on the nests of large rats on the island. Once again, you might be able to guess that they were referring to quokkas. They referred to the island as Island of Mist, Island of Fog, Rats Island and Rats Nest Island. And in Dutch, that is Rotnest Island. So that's how the island got its name. Interestingly, Divlaming also stopped in at the Swan River in what would later become Perth, and he was very interested in the black swans. In fact, he named the river Black Swan River, and it was later shortened to Swan River. 
As there were no black swans in Europe, he and his crew captured three of the swans to take back home with them. But sadly, and I'm sure this was very predictable, the swans did not survive the journey. The ship that they were looking for, the Ritter's Chap Van Holland, was never found. Several other early European visitors to Western Australia also stopped in at Rottnest Island and they reported that the island was heavily wooded, which, of course, it is not today, the trees having been removed by the subsequent people who lived there. In 1831, when the Swan River Colony was established, two men were granted leaseholds on Rottnest Island. One of these men, Robert Thompson, established a small farm there for hay production and he also started to harvest salt from the salt lakes on the island. In those days, salt was in high demand. Thompson lived on the island with his wife and 11 children. His venture out there was not a success. His sheep began to die, and so he petitioned the governor of the colony to buy him out. He was offered £100 for his leasehold there, which he refused. But then... In 1838, the island began to be used as an island prison, much to Thompson's displeasure. And so you may have heard of this, that one of the earliest uses of Rottnest Island was as a prison island for Aboriginal people. When the Swan River Colony was established, the settlers very quickly moved in, taking up all of the good land and displacing a lot of the game that the Aboriginal people hunted. Of course, they also took all of the good water sources. In the early days, the Noongar people who lived along the coast, where the first settlements were, they gave the settlers a wide berth. But soon, as their usual systems of hunting and gathering were disturbed, they began occasionally to steal livestock from the new settlers. And, of course, steal there is in inverted commas, as the white people, of course, thought it was stealing, but the indigenous people did not see it the same way. In fact, What was the difference between hunting a kangaroo that is on your land and a sheep that is on your land? Aboriginal people at that time did not understand the white people's law that animals were property belonging to people. To them, the animals belonged to the land, and so any animals that were located on your land were fair game. The white settlers did not like this, and after a time they began to capture and imprison the Indigenous people for theft and other crimes. And you're going to have to imagine a lot of inverted commas here. That crimes is in inverted commas as well. In 1838, the first six Aboriginal prisoners were transported to Rottnest Island under the command of Constable Lawrence Welch. There were no prison buildings at that time on the island, and so the prisoners slept in a large limestone cave. They were allowed to hunt for their own food on the island during parts of the day. These prisoners were Helia, who was sent there for murder, Boyeen, who was convicted of assault, Molly Dobbin, Tayukan, Gudap and Kogat, who were all sent there because they had been convicted of theft. And it should be noted that three of these prisoners were sent to the island for stealing things like flour and butter. According to a newspaper article published at the time, these prisoners were chained to a tree and they managed to escape by setting fire to the tree that they were chained to. That seems a bit improbable to me, but that's what the newspaper article reported. But anyway, one way or another, they managed to escape from their chains And they then stole Thompson's boat, the man who was farming on the island, and they made it back to the mainland. 
And there are differing reports here, but it seems that at least one of the men drowned in the escape. It was after this that Thompson was finally given compensation for the boat and offered a swap of his land on the island to land on the mainland, as well as some form of compensation for his land. So he was bought out. Anyway, despite this rough start, more prisoners were transferred to Rottnest Island. In 1839, eight of the ten prisoners who were on the island made another escape in what appeared to be a well-planned and coordinated effort. They burrowed under their cell door until they could all escape, and then they stole the boat that they'd come to the island in in order to get back to the mainland. And after this time, they, they tended to not keep boats on the island very often so that the prisoners were not able to escape. Also, although some of these prisoners were later recaptured, it was after this incident that Constable Lawrence Welch was sent back to the mainland and a man called Henry Vincent took over as the jailer for the island prison. Over the next few years, the prison population grew rapidly and Vincent got a reputation for extreme cruelty. He would regularly beat the prisoners with a cat of nine tails or with other things like his keys, and on more than one occasion he beat men to death. He would also on occasion shoot men who didn't do what he wanted them to do. The men who were the prisoners on the island were chained up at night and they were kept very crowded in very small cells with no beds, no toilets and only dirt floors. So, of course, disease became rampant on the island, especially things like influenza and typhoid. And with the Aboriginal people not having built up any immunity to these things because they were newly introduced diseases, many people died. In 1867, a number of reports about Vincent's behaviour made their way to the governor. And despite the fact that he had been in charge of the prison on Rottnest Island for over 25 years by this time, Vincent was forced to take an early retirement due to reports about his cruelty to the prisoners on the island. And that's nice punishment if you can get it. It certainly beats the punishment that was given to the Aboriginal prisoners on Rottnest. Of course, over the period of time that the prisoners were kept on the island, there were other escapes. And at one point, some prisoners escaped into the bush on the island. In an attempt to drive them out of the bush, one of the warders deliberately set a fire which, would, which was going to burn into the bushland. This didn't go to plan when the wind changed and the fire actually burnt towards the prison buildings and it damaged some of the prison buildings. Also, about 50 tonnes of hay were destroyed by this fire. The prison buildings were built using forced prison labour and several of these buildings are still standing today. They are heritage-listed buildings. They're beautiful buildings in spite of their dark history. So over 4,000 Aboriginal men and boys were transported to Rottnest Island over the period of time that it was used as a prison camp and that was between 1838 to 1904. And do keep in mind that this is during a period of time that the Western Australian population was relatively low. Even though the prison on the island officially closed in 1904, Aboriginal prisoners were still used as forced labour on Rottnest Island right up until 1931. I think another thing to keep in mind is that there's no history of imprisonment in Aboriginal culture. It's not a thing that was ever done as a punishment. During that time, more than 370 men, 
Aboriginal prisoners died on Rottnest Island, many of them from disease. Five Aboriginal men were also hanged on Rottnest Island between 1879 and 1888, all for the murder of settlers. The first of these men was Tampin, who was in 1879 hanged for killing John Moyer at Fanny's Cove near Esperance. And this was a time period where there was quite a bit of violence in Western Australia between Aboriginal people and the white settlers. It's worth noting that during this same time period, 29 Europeans were charged with violence against Aboriginal people, and only eight of those people were acquitted. Which, look, of course more than 29 European settlers committed violence against Aboriginal people, but the number of people who were charged and convicted of violence against Aboriginal people in Western Australia was actually quite high when you compare it to, say, New South Wales, Victoria or especially Queensland, where white settlers were able to commit violence against Aboriginal people, including massacres, often without any consequences at all during that time period that was known as the Frontier Wars. And in fact, Western Australia was the first Australian territory to hold that Aboriginal testimony was admissible in a court of law. And that was in 1841 under Governor John Hutt, who it would seem was trying very hard to make sure that the relationships between the Aboriginal people and the white settlers in Western Australia were not too bad. But let's not get too impressed with ourselves here. Of the 21 Europeans who were actually convicted of violence against Aboriginal people during this time period, only one of them was actually given the, the death sentence. In comparison, during this same time period, 25 Aboriginal people were convicted of murder and were given the death penalty, and they were put to death after being convicted of violence towards Europeans. But anyway, I'm getting off track here. As I said, Rottnest Island operated as a prison for Aboriginal people right up until 1904, and Aboriginal people were also used for forced labour on the island right up until 1931. Officially, the prison was closed in 1904 and the Aboriginal prisoners were integrated into the Fremantle prison. Of course, this didn't solve the way that Aboriginal prisoners were treated and they were still often very unfairly treated. At least that treatment wasn't being hidden away on an island away from, away from where anyone could see it. In 1881, a boys' reform school was also established on Rottnest Island, next to the prison. It ran for 20 years alongside the prison, and it closed in 1901. During this time period, a few of the boys in the reform school died due to disease outbreaks on the island, mostly things like influenza and typhoid, and at least two of them drowned in attempts to escape from Rottnest Island. You might be beginning to form the picture, as I have been, that there was quite a bit of human suffering that went on on Rottnest Island. And in fact, during both World War I and World War II, Rottnest was also used as an internment camp for suspected enemy aliens. And this was generally German or Austrian Australians who were living in Australia and in most, most cases had nothing to do with the war, but they were suspected of being enemies because of their nationalities. During World War II, Italian Australians were also sent to the internment camps. The conditions were very poor for the people held in these camps on Rottnest Island, and this was mostly men, and they also did a great deal of damage to the island, cutting down trees and killing the wildlife. 
Also during World War II, a military base was established on Rottnest Island, complete with some big 9.2-inch guns, which would be used for the defence of Perth and especially the Fremantle port, if necessary. The Kingston Barracks were constructed on the island and they were in operation right up until 1984. The equipment there wasn't required to be used during the war and some of it is still there today. And if you visit Rottnest, you can tour the tunnels that were built and you can also see the big guns and look at the Kingston Barracks. Another interesting part of Rottnest Island's history is that it was used as a pilot service in the 1800s. So ships that were coming in towards Perth would be met by pilot ships from Rottnest who would guide them in as there are a lot of dangerous reefs around Rottnest in that whole area of water. In fact, a lighthouse was constructed on the island in 1836. And despite this pilot service, there are as many as 17 shipwrecks recorded in the waters around Rottnest Island, including the 2,400 tonne iron ship Eulidia, which was wrecked in 1893, And it would appear that the captain of the Eulidia was a drunk and was travelling without a pilot ship, which could explain why he ended up wrecked on a reef. There was also the 1,218-tonne ship City of York, which was wrecked in 1899, as well as a number of other ships. And look, I'm sure by now you all know how much I love a good shipwreck story, but we're going to have to leave these for another day. Anyway, after the prison and the internment camps closed, the island was used for a while as a campground for a select few, that being people who could afford to get out to the island. It was declared an A-class reserve in 1917, and gradually some of the old buildings were converted into accommodation or other tourist venues. And today you can stay in accommodation that was once part of the old boys' reformatory or you can visit the quad which was part of the old prison. For a period of time, the campgrounds on the island were actually located on top of the old burial grounds from the prison. These burial grounds on Rottnest Island are the largest known Aboriginal burial grounds in Australia and they're also our largest deaths in custody site. This campground was closed down in 1993 and since that time a memorial has been erected there for those who died on the island. These days around 500,000 people visit Rottnest Island every year, most of them coming by ferry from Fremantle. There is accommodation for 5,500 people on the island, everything from campsites to luxury villas. And despite the many changes that the island has undergone, which includes several catastrophic bushfires, some of which were deliberately lit by the European hunting parties, the quokkas are still there, and they're a friendly, thriving community of very cute little animals. You can take selfies with them, but touching or feeding them is strictly discouraged, and you can actually get a fine if you do do that. The only cars on the island are service vehicles, So transport to get around Rottnest Island is by bicycle or by bus service. There are some incredible snorkelling sites and scuba scuba diving off the island is also really popular. You can dive on many of the wreck sites around the island and you can even snorkel or visit them by glass bottom boat. There is also a really popular event that is held once a year, the Rottnest Island Swim. 
Apparently, this was first undertaken by a German tourist called Gerd van Dinklage, who was joking with a mate while they were drinking at the Quokka Arms, which is a hotel on the island. Gerd was a professional diver, and when his mate joked about the fact that if he drank too much, he wouldn't have enough money for the fare back to Fremantle, Gerd apparently said, in that case, he would swim. The idea must have stuck in his mind because in January 1956, Gerd van Dinklage swam from North Mole in Fremantle to Rottnest Island. He did have a support crew with him and he made it, even though it took him nine hours and 45 minutes of swimming. And by the end of that, he was understandably absolutely exhausted. These days, this 19.7 kilometre swim is an event that takes place every year. And recently, a team of swimmers did it in three hours and 46 minutes. So despite some of the terrible events that have taken place on Rottnest Island and the terrible way that the Aboriginal prisoners were treated, Rottnest Island is an incredibly beautiful place and a trip to Rotto is a big part of Perth's culture. It's really worth a visit if you do get the opportunity. You can go across on the ferry, stay a few days, do some swimming, snorkeling and even visit some of the wreck sites. And so there you have it. That's the story of Rottnest Island. Thank you so much for your company today. And if you've been listening throughout the year, thanks for your company for all of these podcast episodes. It's been a really wild ride, a huge learning curve for me, but I've really loved sharing these stories with you. And I'm always really grateful for your feedback. So thank you so much for those who've been in touch. If you do want to get in touch, you can find me on social media, on Twitter or Facebook under Carly Florison, and I'm on Instagram as well under Wild WA Stories Podcast. I'll be sharing some photos on Instagram, and you can also find out more information about the sources that I've used in putting this podcast together on my website, which is www.wildwapodcast.com. And if you want to get in touch, you can email me, wildwapodcast at gmail.com. And please do feel free to get in touch with any questions, comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. I hope that you all have a wonderful new year and I'll be back in the new year, which is really not that far away at all, with more wild stories from Western Australia's past. <laughs>